You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, y'all, welcome to Volume 3 of the Atlantic Division Mixtape. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Joining me, as always, like he does almost every Friday from now on throughout the season, uh, he covers the Nets for our SB Nation sister site, Nets Daily, Mr. Chris Milholland. Chris, first off, let's jump into this stuff. Last night, Twitter was taken by storm because of Kanye West. We saw the Chris Paul yep. stuff. Uh, what was your immediate reaction to all this stuff? The, the, the Kanye West fall from grace has been pretty, uh, pretty interesting to see. Yeah, like that's because this is the thing, man. Like, obviously, I don't indulge myself that much like any like, you know, as in the in the position I am, I don't really indulge it in because obviously, you know, my plate, my plate's full to the max. So whenever you see this type of little stuff come up, you always just kind of survey the surface. Yeah. see What's going on. But, you know, like I'm the I'm the type of kid that grew up watching, like listening to the vintage Kanye, like the like uh, arguably one of the greatest of all time to do it, you know. And then see this, like you said, this downfall from grace, everything that happens, it's, it's almost like each day is getting worse and worse for him, especially from from a public opinion standpoint. Obviously, what he said, obviously, there's a lot of bad stuff he said. Don't get me wrong. But, like, you know, like when you see, obviously, I think today was the Chris Paul thing. Uh, it could have transferred over last night. I'm not sure. But um, that's interesting. Like, I get like I looked at it. I'm just like, OK, like more, more like, OK, that's kind of surprising and like. Okay. Like, I don't know how they kind of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, all right. It's a very odd name. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's a, it's an odd like connection out of nowhere. It's kind of like, like there was a ton of memes of like Chris Paul eating dinner with his family. And then you just see like him, like kind of reacting to the news like memes wise. But like, I don't know, man. Like, what do you think? It's just like, it's a little weird. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. It's it's kind of it's kind of funny. Like I'm not really big on the pop culture stuff, to be honest with you. I, ne- I never have been. Like obviously, I'm, I, I love sports. You know, I, I know what's going on in the sports world. Um, you'll see athletes and and coaches, managers, whatever. I'm into that. But uh, this stuff I haven't been into. But naturally, just given the fact that this has been shoved into our faces, you know, yeah. day in and day out for for the last month. It's interesting because you look at this Chris Paul dynamic, right? And and the thing with Devin Booker, I, I don't I honestly I don't even know which one of the the Jenner or whatever he was dating. To be honest with you, I wouldn't even tell you which one it is. I would have to ask my girlfriend at times, like, oh, which which one is was was Devin Booker with? So, um, when I when I look at all this stuff, the Kanye thing for me is that man just needs help. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. and I think that that's what I take from it is, um, I'm sure he says or did things to be a jackass at times and maybe you know get some attention on him and and you know going through a a divorce that he's went through with with kim kardashian going through uh i know he hasn't been right since his mother had passed away things have been a a a little bit off for him so i i just look at it and i hope he gets help but i mean it it is kind of juicy if 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 you look at it that there is something to be tied to the Chris Paul thing. I know people are, are circulating that old Drake photo where him and his boys are all wearing CP3 jerseys, yep. um, you know, when he was beefing with Kanye. So, uh, I mean, I, obviously it's a story 
it's funny, but seeing the 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 bullshit that he's spouting, you know what I mean? Talking about I love Hitler or like Hitler, whatever he said on Alex Jones' yeah, podcast. I mean, stuff. yeah, this kind of stuff. It's like, dude, you're just being a jackass. So glad he's been suspended from Twitter. Uh, hope he gets the, the help that he deserves. But man, this Chris Paul thing, uh, and you look at it because Chris Paul kind of has had this uh, off court has had a squeaky clean image, right? Like for the most part, yeah. you haven't it's really quite, heard. It's literally identical to you could even say like some guys like LeBron or some guys like you know like. You look at posting guys across the league, like even Jokic, like, you know, just regular guys that haven't had off-the-court drama. Like Chris Paul's, if not tier one in that category, throughout his long NBA career. I can't even name off the top of my head, aside from, like, even basketball-related. I think, like, you know, you can't really pinpoint anything. The guy's been squeaky clean, like you said. Yeah, he hasn't really he hasn't really been a focal point of some scandal or or you know some stupid. I mean, on the court, obviously, we've seen him flop, we've seen him talk shit, we've seen him um, annoy the opposition. But again, that's all on the court. But off the court, he's he's kept a, a pretty good image. So it'll be interesting to see kind of if if there is any truth to this. If there isn't, we don't know. You know what I mean at, at this point. But uh, funny to see Kanye West, you know, getting involved in in the NBA landscape. Um, and especially considering it's a guy like Chris Paul, which kind of comes out of nowhere, right? You wouldn't expect Chris Paul and Kim Kardashian. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's just like, it's a very just odd name. Like, you know, it's yeah. like one of those things that's like, you know, like, like an arcade machine where you, you go down on the crane, you pick up something, you're like, oh, wow, I want this. You know, it's just like a random drawing pick. It's just like you would like, obviously, don't get me wrong. Like me and you both being around the NBA space. And obviously we have the jobs of covering the league. We know which players obviously indulge themselves in the pop culture the most. You know what I mean? You have yeah, yeah. you have those names, those 10 guys, whatever the case. It's not bad, but, you know, the ones that are kind of indulged in pop culture here and there, whether it's on the music side, whether it's on obviously the off the court kind of dating side, all that type of stuff. You obviously know the list of names. But see, Chris Paul, like you said, dude, I don't know. it's surprising. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's like seeing like, hey, Udonis Haslam is like, what, what? You know what I mean? Where did that, where did that come from? So, uh, this is something to keep keep an eye on as well. But I mean, again, the the uh, Kardashian curse, as it's called in the sporting world, uh, might be able to bite the the Phoenix Suns uh, yet again. Let's move on and talk about some the teams that we cover for the Atlantic Division mixtape. And so, let's jump into number one, the Boston Celtics. Uh, clearly, the class of the NBA at this point, sitting at eighteen and four. You look at the fact that. The Sixers were, or pardon me, the Celtics were sitting at four and three back on November 2nd, 14 and one since then, um, one five in a row, dominating the league. Jason Tatum, uh, to me right now at this point, the clear front runner for MVP, yep. given the fact that how good this team is, he's putting up 31.6 points. You got Jalen Brown at 26.1. The interesting part to me about this, Chris, is it feels like they've been around forever just because they kind of, it, it feels like they have been. And obviously we had the pandemic happen in between, which I, I feel like went seven years and extended everybody's life uh, a little bit. But these guys are 24 and 26, right? Tatum's 24, Brown's 26. Malcolm Brogdon starting to find his footing. He's he's up to 14.4 points per game. Obviously, you got Marcus Smart, Derek White. Uh, Al Horford got a fresh extension at two years at, at $20 million. When you look at this Celtics team, and Joe Mazzulla also given coach of the month for October and November. Like everything is rolling for this squad that, you know, they're able to, to beat Miami uh, against a, a, a Miami team that went heavy on zone, but the Tatum lit them up for 49. You, again, you're looking at this team. How far ahead do you have the Celtics in the field right now in the NBA? 
I would give them the Eastern Conference favorites right now. I think any, I think everyone would. And I think even if you look across in the Western Conference, you know, they could grow up against anyone. They could go up against anyone in this league and make it easily. They they could go up as the favorites. Because what was it? When you look at their whole November slate, I don't think anyone had even close to a great November as they did. I think they had two losses throughout the whole month, which yeah. is just absurd. And then you go down the stat lines of Tatum's in the literally he's had countless games above even 30 points there's 36 there's 39s 34s obviously the 49 from uh on monday but you just you just look at or on wednesday my bad against the heat you know when you just look at the celtics team like i think even on the first episode when we were both talking about the celtics i think both me and you both mentioned that hey this joe Missoula taking over as head coach even though the celtics do have that continuity cohesion with that group, because they've been around for a while. You got to look at Tatum, Tatum, Brown, Smart. You know, you just go down the whole roster. All these guys have played at least, uh, at least their core has been together for years now. So that's why they're clicking so early because they know how to play. Unlike a lot of other teams, you look at the Nets, for example. You can even you can even make a little debate on the Sixers that obviously their new role pieces in there. Um, even obviously, don't get me wrong, the injuries messed up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing in Brooklyn. Um, but you know, when you look at these the Celtics team, they're they've over exceeded anyone's expectations i don't think anyone really had them blowing out the month of november like they have and you know when you look at their next couple games obviously they got the the nets come to town or they have the they come to town against the nets on sunday you know i just i if i had the pencil on something right now you know i do give them obviously it's early you know I'm, i'm the big guy that likes to do game 35 game 35 game 40 see where every team's at heading into the dead trade deadline Weigh it all out, but as this team stands, they're they're built like they're one of the best built teams in the NBA. Like I mentioned, continuity and cohesion, and it really, you know, I would not be surprised if this could be the year. Like this, this honestly could be the year they finally get over the mountaintop, and it would be cool because it would also be a t- Jason Tatum MVP season on top of that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think that you're looking at this at, at this squad, and, and you know what? I mean, they they really looking back at that final series against the Warriors last season, I think the experience took over and this Celtics to me kind of just ran out of gas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Going, going, looking back at that. Um, and it seemed kind of destined with Steph Curry, you know, wanting to get his first finals MVP uh, the way the Warriors were able to win three straight to, to wrap that series up. Uh, and especially game six. I mean, they just came out guns a blazing and, and the Celtics didn't have a chance, you know what I mean? To, to, to win that. Um, for me, I look at this Celtics team, obviously very good defensively. You look at at, at the net rating for for, for Boston. Uh, again, like you mentioned, we're, we're only 22 games into the season, but you look at the squad, easily the best net rating in the, in the NBA. Uh, defensively, starting to find their footing in terms of being as dominant as they were last year. But to me, they have the depth. They have the high-end talent, like we mentioned, with, with Tatum and Brown. And then you got the secondary guys, right? Like Malcolm Brogdon, he can score 20 on you any given night. Marcus Smart can do the same thing. Uh, Al Horford, we've seen, have big games. And they're doing this all without Robert Williams, right? And I think that's the other impressive part. So take your time. If I'm Boston at this point, take your time with Robert Williams. Let him get healthy because then you got that defensive linchpin really in the in the in the back and, and rim protector um, that they're still doing a good job without him. But putting him into into this equation. Yeah, to me, unless and again, Milwaukee's getting Middleton back tonight and they're recording this on a Friday morning. So uh, the Bucks are going to start getting healthy again. And once they get holiday rolling and we know how good Giannis can be. But looking at at that squad. Um, I, I don't know. It, 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 nobody's really going to be on that level. So I, I'm with you. I think at this point, it, and you you said this, it is still early, and and we do like to be a little bit more pragmatic when looking 
at the league as a whole, but the Celtics have, have asserted themselves as the best team in the league. The Celtics are showing how dominant they are and barring any sort of major impact move, a team like Milwaukee, a team like Cleveland, uh, maybe a Philly, maybe Brooklyn again, who knows? I mean, these teams are up against it cap wise as well. So they'd have to do some gymnastics to make it work, but unless they're adding this really significant piece and I'd probably put the Cavs and, and the Sixers there and the Nets, who's going to catch Boston right at, at this point, because you look at the fact that the way that roster is assembled, the way, like you mentioned, that they have the continuity from last season still were. And and again, they're doing this without Gallinari, who isn't going to be a total game changer, but would have given some uh, pretty significant depth in terms of scoring coming off the bench. Like to me, I, there's nobody else really on this level. And so I think for the Celtics now, at this point, you're basically looking at, hey, we got to get through December, January, February, March, get into April, and let's get rolling on the playoffs. That's exactly what it is, because, like, you can't, like, even with the Celtics team, you can't really pick, like, if you want to really pick out a certain woe with this team, you could say it's turnovers. Like, you know, a similar thing like they did, obviously, in the NBA Finals. Like, you know, turnovers are one of those things that, you know, they allow the other team to get back in the game, and it does happen. Obviously, I, I cover the Nets. Turnovers are a huge factor every single night. But, you know, like you you kind of just summed it up perfectly. When you really just look at what the Celtics have to offer, how hot of a start they're coming off, obviously the coaching change didn't impact them one bit. So, you know, you could just tell that they're all locked in on basketball. They're all just kind of flowing and being fundamentally sound with their principles. And, you know, it's not like they had an easy schedule. You know what I mean? Like I know a lot yeah. of guys when you see a, a lot of winning games or winning schedules or win streaks – you look at the competition, but you look at that whole November slate. They they had some tough games. So when you look at, like I said, when you put everything together, put it under a bow, you know, I think this team is, it, like I said before, I think they are right now the un, undiscussed, I guess you could say. It's not even a discussion to have them not be Eastern Conference contenders. You know, like Eastern, yeah. come out of the Eastern Conference, go to the finals. Yeah, then, yeah, and I again, I Milwaukee right there, especially given the fact I think Middleton obviously will take maybe a month, uh, maybe six weeks yeah. to get back into into form uh, is all star form. But uh, again, I mean, just the way the Celtics have looked, the way they have come out, the way they played after losing that finals, uh, very tough to see any team beating them. Uh, let's jump to the team that you primarily cover. The Brooklyn Nets um, actually have now won three in a row. So, you know, getting uh, starting to find. We're moving. Uh, their, we're moving. Yeah, they're, they're moving. They're moving. They're starting, they're starting to get there. Um, Jacques Vaughn now starting to get maybe a little bit more comfortable in his role as the head coach. And, and we're starting to see Ben Simmons kind of put it all together. Although I got to admit, coming from a Sixers perspective, it was great to see uh, a team without Joel Embiid, without Tyrese Maxey, without James Harden be able to get a, a win against that Brooklyn team. Uh, but looking at the last three beaten a Portland team that is starting to lose its way. Obviously, Damian Lillard's been out uh, for quite some time there. Uh, Orlando, pretty crappy. Washington, eh, middle of the run. But uh, when you when you look at what's going on with the Nets, why have they been able to, to maybe turn the corner a little bit? And what do you anticipate is going to happen over the next 10, 15 games for Brooklyn, Chris? Well, obviously Durant's been balling. You know, he's uh, across the last four. It's been thirty-six or across the last five points. Obviously, he's no stranger to twenty-five point performances. I think he set the franchise record this year with, I think it was seventeen games in a row with twenty-five plus points. Now, obviously, that got snapped once, and then he just repicked it back up. So right now, it's the past five or thirty-six points, thirty-one points, forty-five. Uh, obviously, the season high against Orlando. 
Uh, Washington was 39, and um, Irving, I think, he, he led the Toronto charge uh, back on the 23rd with, I think it was 29 or 29 points, I think it was. But when you look at this Nets team, you could just tell that they're, they're even though that they have been injury-raveled, like, you know, obviously Simmons was a big hit with the, the left uh, uh, calf strain. You know, it's it's really hard to get a good, clean look at this team because with Yuta Watanabe out, obviously he's been their success story of the year. He's been the diamond of the rough story, leading the NBA in three-point percentage, uh, obviously becoming one of the good NBA shooters or great NBA shooters considering, hey, you know how far we are in the games. But they're really starting to get their stuff together, and you can tell that, they're, that the ball's been popping a little bit. And t- Toronto's always a tough test for them, you know, even though they didn't like tonight, they were recording on a Friday, we played Friday night. Toronto's going to be a tough test, but obviously today, outside of just get winning a basketball game, it's the TJ Warren game. TJ Warren's returning to the court after nearly two years from playing his last NBA game on the 29th of December, 2020. That should be interesting. I think he's going to probably get a heavy minutes restriction. I'd imagine he'll probably go 15 off the bench, anywhere between 15 and 20. Uh, we'll see how he is. Obviously, he's their biggest. When you, when you saw the signing in the offseason, I think you could even agree, like every other NBA guy in the league, when you saw what he signed for with Brooklyn, which was the vet minimum, it's a low-risk, high-reward signing. Uh, obviously, he's the bubble king. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. refer to him as the bubble king. That was kind of the last time we saw a clean look at him on the hardwood. And then, obviously, he had the back-to-back consecutive stress fractures in his foot, which is concerning because you got to remember that those type of injuries are career derailing injuries. So how is he going to look? It's going to be interesting. I think he does fit well into this offense, especially with guys that like the uh, – obviously a catch-and-shoot guys like him. He can make, he kind of make his own offense. He can facil- facilitate. He's a solid defender. He's just another wing that they could add into the surplus of that position. Um, but I'm more intrigued to see what his actual role will be after. Like, like you mentioned with Middleton, it's going to take T.J. Warren identical, if not six to eight weeks, to finally get his whole footing back on the hardwood, especially – being away from the game for almost two years. Yeah, you look at the again. They're starting to get get healthier, and and Ben Simmons, uh, you know, up and down. Obviously, you know, so far when he when he's returned to the court, uh, but he's had some nice outings, right? And and you're looking at 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 Brooklyn started off one five eleven and six now over its last seventeen games, uh, fifth in net rating over that time, basically since October thirtieth till today. Uh, looking at at, at that. Is is yeah. the last seventeen games more indicative of where this team is at, Chris, compared to the previous six? Like, where do you, where do you look at at Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference pecking order? Because again, you're looking at this right now. Went through the coaching change. Steve Nash obviously basically mutually agreed um, to to move on from that situation, saying the players weren't responding to him. And and you're looking at the fact now. Hey, the Nets, uh, twelve and eleven overall, sitting in the play-in picture at least at at this point. Uh, where do you where, where do you think the Nets are going to are going to go from here? Like I said, eleven and six over the last seventeen, mm-hmm. um, looking a lot better, looking more comfortable. And obviously, you got a guy like Kevin freaking Durant who's who's just dominant. You know, averaging 30, 30 and a half points per game. Um, where where do you put Brooklyn right now? Like starting to figure things out. Uh, how do you think they're going to do? Like, do you, do you look at this team and be like they they sh- guaranteed are going to be in the top six come time for for the playoffs? Top six is, I think, the perfect answer. I was going to say middle of the pack. I'm going to, I'm going to give him middle of the pack because obviously, with what Milwaukee's doing, obviously now getting Middleton back, you look at it seems like uh, the Celtics. Obviously, we we just talked about them with Brooklyn. You know, it's I hate that Nets fan. Like I hate Nets fans always uh, look at it this way, but it's true. 
each year it's almost a new team, right? Because they incorporate a new piece that's very valuable to their core each year. James Harden, Ben Simmons, guys that play valuable roles, right? It's not like you're 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 supplying Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, supporting cast material. You're incorporating guys like Ben Simmons who need who's could really he's he's like uh like Jack Vaughn said early in the season, he's the engine to the offense. You know, he's the one that could get his teammates open shots. Obviously, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are great in isolation. They can create their own offense. But we saw like in the first round series against the Celtics, when those when the when they can't move the ball and the offense gets stagnant. The, like the Celtics did, they triple team Durant. They obviously shut down Irving with double teams. They took away the passing lanes. So that's kind of been the cure. And obviously with this team, and you both know they do need a big man. You know, I don't think they could go the whole season mm-hmm. with how they're currently constructed down low and make a serious push. Because you look at the common themes over these last couple games with big men, and especially in the Eastern Conference big men, you know, like, Porzingis obviously had a pretty quiet night. I, everyone expected him to go off, but outside outside of that, Nurkic just had his money against this team. Obviously, Joel Embiid, if he did play on Tuesday, I can imagine that he would have feasted. You know, then you go mm-hmm. down. You saw what Sabonis did. You saw what Anthony Davis did against them. Obviously, Zubak. Um, he it wasn't yeah, his, that was a, the, the absurd fifty point performance, but you know he he gave them a, a good double double. So I'm not. It's not knocking on class. It's not knocking on Dayron Sharp but they do need a lumbering big man. They need someone that could de- really defend a big body because Claxton could do it, but Claxton has a has a history of getting in foul trouble. And then when you get in foul trouble in a weakened position, as you know, in the mm-hmm. NBA, you look at guys down the line like Dayron Sharp, and then, okay, if that doesn't work, then you have to go small and put Ben Simmons at the five. And, you know, if that, say, they want to get a bigger body, they could always incorporate a guy like Markeith Morris. But, again, Markeith Morris on the defensive end, you know, he's an older player. So – it's interesting because me and you have talked about it before. I know a lot of guys, a lot of fans are screaming for the Nets to get a, a lumbering big, but it's 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 weird because they don't have the necessary they don't have the necessary assets to go out and get a big that really complements their system. Don't get me wrong, Miles Turner would be that guy, but Indiana would be looking for draft picks, right? Something that the Nets do not have. And you look at around the league, obviously Yaka Pertle's been a hot name. I'd imagine the Spurs would follow suit with Pacers and say, "Hey, we want young, we want young players, we want compensation." So you look at guys like like uh, Cam Thomas. They could maybe do a salary dump with either Seth Curry or Joe Harris, and then maybe if they do want to part with some of their future future picks, their first round picks, they could do it. But obviously, with the turmoil that passed along in this offseason, with okay, you saw Kevin request the trade, then rescind it. Then you saw Kyrie Irving, whether not there was some noise around there that hey, maybe he could have been gone, even though he exp- he disclosed himself that there weren't that many teams that were that expressed interest. But at the end of this year, Kyrie Irving is a, f- a free agent. The Nets could extend at any time this season. But would, would a franchise that could possibly, I'm not going to say, I'm not, this is just, you know, putting it out there, considering what happened last offseason, even though I think Durant's in a great place in Brooklyn, you could tell he's having fun out there. Let's say worst comes to worst with this team, and say Durant does at the end of the year say, you know what, I do, I do want out. I doubt the Nets could flip the switch and be like, yeah, we're going to try to convince him to stay one more time. And then you look at Irving, who would be a free agent by then. So this team already doesn't have a lot of draft picks. They don't really have a lot to rebuild on. That's why I don't think that they would really push heavy for a lumbering big. What happens after this season, Chris? Yeah. Look at looking at that as well. I, I think the playoffs will will have a big impact on what Kevin Durant decides Which, to do. For sure. Um, you know, if this team and and you know he he openly talked about it. I believe it was Chris Chris Haynes of uh, of Bleacher Report, 
And yep. Turner basically saying, hey, you know, look around the, at the roster. Look at look at what I'm surrounded by. This is, like, of course, when the Nets were struggling uh, more than they are now. Again, 12 and 11, nobody's going to act like they're a championship contender at this point. Although, you know, they reel off six, seven, eight, nine in a row. And then you're going to start having that conversation just because of the high-end talent that they have. So when, when you look at the future, right? Like you mentioned, Kyrie Irving eligible to leave after this season. Kevin Durant still still has, what does I believe, three years left after after this one. Um, what happens there in Brooklyn? Like you mentioned, looks like he's having fun. He's playing, obviously, great in terms of his um, individual stats. And and we look at, at Kevin Durant as, as one of the best players of, of all time. And, and given the fact that um, how efficient he is as a scorer, how unstoppable he is. But when you when you look at this and you know sitting number six in the league right now in points per game, when when you try and take out the crystal ball and look at the future right now, in your opinion, are Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both back next season? Uh, I think you know it's it's so tough to read because it's so far ahead. Anything could happen. You know, the NBA is one of those leagues that things could change in the matter of five hours. You know what I mean? But. You know, I think the biggest one thing that I will that is uh, alarming with this team, and I know Kevin Kevin wants to play all the minutes he can at this stage in his career because he said himself like countless times, "Hey, I don't know, thirty four years old. I'm obviously entering the tail end of my career here." But when you look at he's leading the league in total minutes played, even though he's he's he hasn't his production hasn't taken a hit at all. He's leading the point and leading the league in total points scored. I think he's sixth in the league in points per game. Mm-hmm. But you don't want the Nets. I know Vaughn even disclosed himself after Monday in Orlando that hey, that they're trying to find spots where they could rest Durant, right? Not have shoot arounds in the morning, or there may be games down the line that they could afford to rest him, right? Because Durant's played all the games this season, and they need him to. Because that's the problem too. I know a lot of guys are like, oh, rest him here, rest him there. The thing is, the Nets. If the Nets did do rest him, you know, you got to think about in the, during the Irving suspension, if they rested Durant, they'd have no chance of really kind of carving out wins, right? Gutting out wins here. Obviously, this team, we've seen like guys like Edmund Sumner and other guys step up. But when you don't have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant in the lineup, it's tough to get wins. Now you look at the Ben Simmons. He's at least out two more games. I'd imagine that's going to stretch past the three-game mark um, considering um, how cautious the Nets are going to be with this because it's ended up being mm-hmm. left knee soreness, left knee soreness, and now it's moving down in the back of the knee to left calf. So – you could credit that to accum- an acclimation of games, his load. Obviously, the Nets have had a very tough schedule with games. I think they've played across the past 15 games. I think it's been eight or nine or seven games. It's been, it's been a tough schedule, really, for them. So you could credit that to it. But do you like, like last year, you saw in the NBA Finals, like Kevin looked, he did look exhausted out there. You know what I mean? And obviously, yeah. that's not just because of the Celtics defense. You got to also credit that something, something to the load, right, in the season. So. That's that's I think that's the biggest red flag right now. Do they do they go ahead and give Kevin Durant some needed rest and say, you know what, we even though hey we want to win, we're a game above five hundred as we stand right now at ten and eleven at the time of this recording, they have to give the guy rest. You know, so I think that's going to be the tricky part. That's going to be the most uh, highlighted thing to see uh, coming up in these recent stretch of games is if they do give Kevin Durant a rest day, um, what teams will come against and um, just kind of take it from there. Yeah, and, and again, this is going to be a long term thing with with the Nets, right? And yep. and and you mentioned that too. That hey, kind of looking at this at the squad as is um, Kevin Durant, obviously has been shouldering a lot of the load. You want to see Kyrie start to step up and and get some points, but lo- looking at the even looking at the schedule um, for the Nets, you know, and I, again, Atlanta looking pretty good. But then you got you know after this Toronto and Boston stretch, you got Charlotte, Atlanta, 
Uh, the Pacers, who I think are playing above their talent level, although, again, could be pleasantly surprising. Ty I love Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I think he's going to be a future all-star, if not already this season. But, um, you know, a game that they should win. Then you got Washington, then you got another Raptors game, and then you got the Pistons. So this is an opportunity now for the Nets to start racking up some wins and, and put themselves into the conversation, not into the same stratosphere as Boston or Milwaukee, but trying to move up into that second tier of the Eastern Conference. Uh, Chris, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll jump into some Sixers talk. We'll also talk some Raptors and, of course, uh, the other New York team, the Knicks as well. We'll do that coming up in about a minute. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, and we are back. Let's jump into some Sixers talk, Chris. Uh, this team has had its fair share of ups and downs as well. Obviously, we did a little bit of a deep dive there on the team that you cover, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, yep. The Sixers, 12 and 10. And, and I said this a lot throughout the offseason and, and leading up to, to opening week is that the Sixers probably are going to struggle for the first 10 games because they had so many moving parts. Uh, bought in, obviously, three guys who are key parts of the rotation in Melton House and P.J. Tucker. Although P.J. Tucker, three points in like 215 minutes. I probably could have hit more shots than that. I'm not going to say <laughs> I'm, I'm good as P.J. Tucker, but I mean, uh, offensively, hasn't done much, but uh, looking at this Sixers squad now, and 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 you know, we talked a little bit about that that one fifteen one hundred six win over Brooklyn, where they were missing their their big three, and then uh, came up short against Charlotte on on the second night of a back to back, and then you know got three wins that that they needed, beat Orlando a couple times, beat Atlanta before getting the crap kicked out of them on Wednesday by Cleveland. But uh, looking at this Sixers squad, Chris, and and they're again they're hoping hoping to get. James Harden back on Monday in Houston. Um, Tyrese Maxey yep. likely not too far behind, maybe a couple of weeks after that, maybe a week or so. Uh, but this team, when you're looking at it from your perspective, Chris, and obviously being being New York based, um, I'll be very close to Philly and 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 knowing what you know about this squad. 
Um, where do you put the Sixers amongst the, the Eastern Conference teams? Like, let's just say they get fully healthy again. They get Tyrese Maxey yep. back. They get um, James Harden back. And obviously Embiid now back in the lineup as well. He had a nice game against Atlanta, Thirty put up 30 points there, uh, struggled against Cleveland. But again, the whole team did uh, against the Cavs. But, but looking at this squad, like, do you think the Sixers, again, presuming that they're fully healthy, have enough to be able to keep up with a team like the Celtics? I think they do. It's just a matter of health. You know what I mean? Obviously, you could say that for every team, that health's a big aspect of it. Mm-hmm, obviously, mm-hmm. I want to give you the floor for the, the for the Sixers because obviously you cover that you cover the team, you know, obviously more from the inside than I do from the outside. But, you know, you, you can't go wrong with Shake Milton. You know, Shake Milton's been holding down the fort pretty well. You know, I think I, I think Sixers fans knew that going into that, hey, he's a good type of guy that you could kind of throw in the lineup when things go wrong on the injury side. Embiid's doing the best he can, obviously, from the 59-point Utah performance. Um, you look down the lines, I think he had uh, two 32-point games. Obviously, like you mentioned, Atlanta had a 30-point in Cleveland. Obviously, he struggled with 19 because Car- uh, the old Nat Karis LeVert uh, carried the Cavs there. But I think I think they're, they're sitting comfortable. You know, I, obviously, the last episode we talked about Doc Rivers being on the hot seat and stuff like that. So we'll see. Um, I don't know. Obviously, that kind of conversation has died down since, since obviously we had a little week off since we last recorded. Mm-hmm. But um, – I don't know. Like it's 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 they do have pieces. You know, when you look at the Sixers roster, you know they do have pieces. They're just injured right now. They're, even though they sit at twelve and ten, second in the Atlantic Division. Obviously, Atlantic Division people are like, oh, division rankings. It doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But you got to look at the competition. They play the, these guys four times a year. So you know, like George Niang has been pretty solid from afar. Obviously, Tobias Harris led led you guys past the Nets when in Philly during the Ben Simmons return. Um, you know, obviously, um, Cork Moss has been pretty good for you guys as well. So I don't know, like where, where I would say, I would say you can't, you can't sleep on them. You can't like, I don't think they're a team that you could really throw in the middle of the pack. And even if they do go to the postseason in the middle of the pack, obviously me and you both know, I don't think this team is not going to be a playing team, but even if you do throw them in the middle of the pack and say they do get a little top four or five matchup in the, in, uh, at the start in the postseason, whatever the case is like. They're, they're a threat regardless. I don't think any team really wants to face these guys on a first-round series like Brooklyn or like Boston or like Milwaukee, like the cream of the crop of the East. I think I think you could probably agree on the same sentiments here. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that when things are rolling with, with the Sixers, they're, they're going to be a very tough out. And, and you know, they might yeah. be without Tobias Harris, although he is he is feeling a little bit better. They're taking on uh, a tough Grizzly squad tonight. And, and like you said, we're recording this on a Friday, so they're playing Friday night uh, in Memphis. But... It's interesting, Chris, because you you look at this this team, and I mentioned this on our SB Nation Twitter Spaces yesterday. Like the Sixers, overall, are defensively they're really, really, really good, and and you're looking at the fact that um, this team is is third in the league in in defensive rating. Um, they give up the lowest percentage to opponents on on three point field goals, and obviously that's a big part of the NBA now. Um, so defensively they've kind of figured things out. And I think that everybody did kind of expect that given the individual talent that they have to Joel Embiid, a great rim protector. Uh, as I mentioned, guys like PJ Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, Matisse Thibel starting to play himself back into the yeah. rotation after looking that he was going to be out of the Sixers plans. But I think uh, Danwell House's struggles have, have enabled him to kind of get himself, find himself getting some footing again. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the Sixer squad and Shake Milton, you know, has been a pleasant surprise over the last six games. He's putting up 21 points, 6.8 assists, 5.8 rebounds. I think people are happy to see Shake do that where he kind of struggled last season, couldn't really find 
his niche in terms of where he was going to fit in on with this squad, especially after they got hardened in that February trade, although he did have some nice moments in the postseason. But uh, I think Shake is 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 giving him this dynamic off the bench that they were severely lacking, right? In terms of giving them some backcourt scoring, because once Maxi yeah. and, and Harden were on the bench, and, and I think that's where Doc has to do a better job of staggering. Yeah, Melton's been good as well, but the rest of those guys, that they weren't getting much. And uh, Furkan Korkmaz, a guy you mentioned, uh, super inconsistent. Matisse Eibel can't shoot yeah. if his life depended on it. And that's just unfortunate, but that's just the reality of it. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that I'm looking at this squad. They got to get healthy. But going back to even the Doc stuff, it's weird to me because, and I, I said this as a joke, I'm like, Doc Rivers seemingly turns into Phil Jackson when he's missing his best players, right? You remember that year, the 2018-19 season, uh, where the Clippers didn't really have much. He got them into the playoffs, ultimately ended up losing to to the the Warriors there in uh, in 19, the final KD season in, in Golden State. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see because if they can't get going offensively, there, then those questions are going to continue to arise, right? And, and and I think that's where the doc dynamic isn't just going to die down, right? And and again, mm -hmm. he, he kind of got a, a, the benefit of the doubt, Chris, for the fact that they are missing their best three players, right? In, in Bede, Harden, and, and Maxi, although Embiid only ended up um, missing not, not too much time. Uh, originally, people thought it might be only a couple of games. Uh, he wound up, in fact, sitting four games there before returning. So again, it wasn't missing for too, too long. But yeah, looking at this squad, like they, they need to get things going offensively. They are the 20, they're 28th, tied for 28th in scoring with the Orlando Magic at, at just over 108 points per game. And, and so obviously mm -hmm. that's not going to cut it when you got Maxi Embiid and, and Harden on the court. So uh, these this has been the knock on Doc for a few years and, and going back to his Clippers time. Um, the unimaginative offensive sets, the lack of creativity, the lack of movement, like great, yeah, Joel Embiid can feast on anybody he's going against, get him the ball at the block, get him the ball in the high post. But when you're getting him the ball there, there's no movement, right? And then this is mm -hmm. a part of the system. Like, uh, you know, James Harden will be sitting on the three-point line with a hand up his butt. You got Tyrese Maxey sitting on the opposite side. They're not doing anything. And so I think that people are going to look for that from the Sixers once they do get healthy. And again, we're looking at this team, you know, we're sitting at the 22 game mark, the 12 and 10, uh, right? Honestly, about where I expected them to be. I, I didn't think that they would be, uh, you know, 17 and five or five and 17 on the, on the inverse. I did think that they would, they would take some time to, to find their footing, find their chemistry and figure out the rotations. But if you're looking at game 35 and this team's around 18 and 17, 19 and 16, I still think that the calls for Doc's head are going to grow louder, right? And 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 mm -hmm. I think that's justified because we've seen his limitations. We saw what happened against Atlanta. Uh, obviously, that that basically sealed Ben Simmons' fate in Philly uh, back in June of 2021. We saw this team lose to the Miami Heat um, last year. And again, Joel Embiid missed the first two games of that series. Otherwise, they're basically dead even with Miami. So who knows what happens there? But those have been the questions about Doc. And I don't think he's done enough to answer them at, at mm -hmm. this point, Chris. And so it's like, yeah, th that is going to be a variable where, and are you going to fire a coach at game 50, 55? Probably not. You know what I mean? Although they got mm -hmm. Dave Yeager, they got Sam Cassell, uh, you know, sitting on the staff as well. So they, they can kind of have that sense of continuity if they do decide to make a move. But if you want to bring in a Mike D'Antoni, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you want to bring in somebody from the outside, you're going to have to do that probably at game 40 rather than game 60. Yeah, without a doubt. I think, I think you had a great point there. Obviously, 
if they were to make the coaching change, you know, in the midseason, whatever, I would imagine it would be an in-house promotion. I think Sam Cassell is probably the leading candidate. I think you would imagine there. One question I have for you, when you – I think it's a similar problem to what the Nets had last year, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Yeah. When you look at the depth chart and I guess you could say the profiles that this team does have and the similarities – do you think that since this team has very they're they're loaded up, don't get me wrong, they're they're very they're well balanced, but they have a lot of guys to present similar profiles and similar s- skill sets, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that is a woe or do you think that is a benefit? Especially when you try to like you said mentioned before with Doc and the kind of the systems and uh you look at like I don't know, like it just it rings familiarity with Brooklyn last year where they had so many pieces that could do the same things. And they just couldn't put together the greatest kind of meshing lineups and correlations here. Do you think that is an issue? Obviously, it's not. Uh, obviously, don't get me wrong. When you look at other teams around the league, they're in a comfortable spot in that situation. But do you think that is a woe for this team? Considering, like, you know, looking at the profiles and kind of the skills. Yeah. That, uh, especially the supporting cast more than anything. Well, of course. And and I think that's where the, the key was, right, Chris? Where last year, after the playoffs, last season, I don't want to say last year, but last season... Uh, after that second round loss to the Heat, that everybody looked at that Sixer squad and looked at the roster and like, dude, you're not going to win with. And this is no disrespect. Like, I love George Niang. I think everybody likes George Niang. You know what I mean? He's he's uh, a great player, great value on his contract, around three and a half million dollars. Um, he's putting up yep. nine point eight points per game. But are you going to be a championship contender with him as your sixth man? No, you're not. And then you know everybody saw that. And then um, last season in the, in the playoffs, they had. You know, Furkan Korkmaz playing uh, big minutes. Matisse Thybul uh, just can't hit open shots, right? He's, he's been a little bit better, shooting better than 40% over the last couple of weeks. But uh, that was the issue. And so they they bought in guys who, and we talked about this on the podcast network, which was, look, these guys don't have, just didn't have NBA talent, right? At at, at the sixth, seventh, and and eight spots on that, on that roster in terms of, yeah, these, you know, like, again, to George Niang, a great eighth man, a sixth man, probably not going to lead you to the promised land and so they bought in DeAnthony Melton and you mentioned these are a bunch of like Melton obviously has been a pleasant surprise but um you got Melton you got um Daniel House who again has struggled only averaging five points per game shooting the rock around 40 percent uh not good enough at all and PJ Tucker who is not giving you anything offensively although I've, I've said this before I anticipate that'll change once they get hardened back because you'll get more of those open looks from the corner but you yep. bought in a lot of these three and D guys, and that's where I, I, I mentioned Shake Milton, right? His his emergence, and hopefully he's able to keep it this way. He's he's playing more than twenty three minutes a night, but hopefully he's able to keep up this uh, shot creation. The the second unit giving him somebody. He he actually runs a real good two man game with Joel Embiid. They're super efficient on the pick and roll between those two guys. They have great chemistry there too. So I, I agree with you. I think they're they're. They're hamstrung a little bit by the roster creation, but also they're in a lot better position than they were in in uh, May of last year when they were in the playoffs. Because now you have DeAnthony Melton, who is a, a sixth man and, and might be in the conversation for sixth man of the year when all said when all is said and done. But you got uh, Shake Milton now, who's giving you a bit of that. Hey, I can facilitate. I can also shoot. I could score. I can create with Joel Embiid. So th- they're starting to figure it out, and that's what I mean. Like. If, if Doc isn't able to push the right buttons and find the right combos over the next 15 to 18 games, uh, that those calls are, are going to grow louder. Yeah, well, listen, hey, the, like, you like you know, you could kind of put together words stuck here, but I don't think there's more team in the East that's more stuck than the Raptors, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and then let's let that's a good time to transition over to the Raptors because they were missing Pascal Siakam, who was playing at a All Star, damn near MVP level. Let's be real, throughout uh, most of the yeah. season, almost putting up a, a triple double a game. Uh, he ended up missing three weeks. The Raptors have been pretty middling over over that time, sitting at the I mm-hmm. believe they were five and five um, without Siakam, but him and Scotty Barnes back in the in the lineup now, and the Raptors, like you mentioned, taking on uh, the Nets tonight on a, on Friday. Um, that's another team that I'm looking at as, as super interesting, right? They've won two out of their last three, uh, came up short against a, a New Orleans squad. That's looking like it, it's going to slowly climb up into the Western conference con- conversation, but, um, looking at this Raptors team and we've talked about them a little bit before, right? Chris, like, Hey, yep. they're, they're good. Um, like you mentioned about the Sixers, I, I think the Sixers a little bit better than, than the Raptors, but not a team you want to play. Um, come time for come time for the playoffs, but they got Siakam, they got OG Ananobi, they got Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr. having a nice season, the reigning rookie of the year, and Scotty Barnes, who's always going only going to continue to get better. Uh, when you when you look at this Raptors team, what's what's the ceiling? Where 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 do you where do you put them at? Like, and I think Masai Ujiri knows this. I think everybody who covers the Raptors knows this. But where do you where do you put that squad in in, in terms of this is the maximum they're going to attain? I'd say they're ceiling. I think I think. You know, getting past the first rounds of success. And at the same time, I think, too, like we mentioned on the past couple episodes, me and you, I think everyone in the NBA knows they're star away. You know, they're, they're yeah. not going to get over the top of their current team. They're star away. They're putting this awkward spot where they have they have a kind of a very good core. Siakam's getting a little older. He's Although he's, he's up there from one of the most underappreciated stars in this league right now. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at him, obviously the position depth when he plays a big part of it rolls everything there and obviously you look at the kind of the depth that they have in the eastern conference and even in the nba in that category at his position but you know he's always that silent name in an all nba conversation whether it's first second or third team but like you know they're they're it's like you know i keep saying it they're just stuck they just need to i think i do think at this stage you know they're 11 and 10 i think it is obviously they come to brooklyn today they're missing they're not missing they're relatively healthy they're not missing really any main key guys here obviously Otto Porter jr has been out for um a lot of time now mm-hmm. but you know i think you know it's it's all a matter of when is Masai going to pull the trigger and kind of go for a, a star here you know when like you saw with the Kawhi deal you know that was kind of the perfect situation disgruntled superstar the Spurs were looking for a star player back in return and kind of obviously compensation. So the Raptors perfectly fit that mold. And you saw what happened after they made that deal right now, when you survey the NBA landscape, is there really stars out there that are on the trade market or would, would really want to go out? Obviously Bradley Beal's bit name has been mentioned a ton of times, you know, but considering this type of uh, how the Raptors squad is built, is he really going to make that much of a difference considering what they would have to give up? Cause that's the big thing is, if they give up for a star, you guys look, you gotta look at names like OG Ananobi, for example. Obviously, one of the great, one of the most, I guess, even underrated, but I think he's starting to get his appreciation now. Three and D guys in this league can play both ends of the floor, and he's starting to turn into like a three level type of scorer. So you look there. Obviously, Fred's getting a little older too, so you gotta wonder, okay, what's is, is that? Is this are they gonna remain with him as the cornerstone point guard here? Scotty Barnes, I don't think he's gonna be going anywhere anytime soon. I think that's their future building block. Yeah, um, Chris Boucher has been giving them uh, good good minutes on the boards and uh, uh, with points as well. Uh, Gary Trent, you know, that's a mystery player too. You know, what, you know, when you look at this Raptors squad, Gary Trent, he could be valuable to a lot of championship contenders. 
and he does hold some value. So I wouldn't be surprised if Masai said, you know what, let's let's survey the market with him. I think there was some trade rumors surrounding him in the offseason a little bit, very quiet once. But you know, they're 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 the definition of a stuck team, man. Like, you know, it's it's one of those that hey, they're they're a star away, but if they do acquire a star and what they give back, is it really gonna put them over what they are standing at now? Yeah, and, and and you mentioned like who who is available, right? And I think that that's another dynamic to all this too. And and the Raptors uh, have been lights out at home, eight and two, three and eight on the road. So they need to figure that out as well, getting things going when they're not playing in the friendly confines um, of of Toronto. Uh, you mentioned looking at at a potential star, and and this is again going to be a situation where we look at a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are nine and thirteen, um, better I think than people expected, and and Chet Holmgren will be back next season but mm -hmm. a guy to look at and there's an obvious um tie there Toronto, shea, Canada connection, yeah, yeah yeah shea gilgis alexander right and then and, and you look at him of he's been freaking unreal 31.1 points 6.1 uh assists 4.9 rebounds the guy's just been uh, lights out he's locked he's locked up that most improved player award i think yeah. if he and he's only 24 this, right and he's only like 24 he, it feels insane. like he's been around feels like he's been around forever and and we've seen him steadily just become this guy who went from, you know, averaging double digits in his rookie year with the Clippers. Then he got moved uh, over to OKC in that Paul George deal. And then, you know, 19 points a game, 23, 24, and now he's up to 31. And you look at a team like the Raptors who would make a ton of sense. The Raptors got all their first round picks from, from now all the way through 2030 um, at this point. So they can, they can do the switching of uh, or sending over the draft picks uh, also doing the, the pick swap. So they're, they're the prime candidate to do that. They're not a team like the Sixers or the Lakers who can't make a move with a pick until 2027, 2029. So I, I think that is, is the only guy you look at, because again, you mentioned like Bradley Beal, is he really going to be available? And if so, because if you're a team like OKC at this point where um, you know, you're not contending for a championship this season, you know, you're likely aren't going to contend next year, but you got guys like Josh Giddy, you got Dort, uh, Jalen Williams starting to come along there again not a, a, a I think Giddy probably has um, the most potential out of those guys and then you're getting Holmgren uh, back for next season so looking at, at even that squad it's like what what is what does Sam Presti want to do right because given the fact that again mm -hmm. OKC likely not going to be in the play-in conversation I would be surprised if they are when all is said and done come time for April but you're looking at that team like okay what's what's the timeline here right because you know, are you looking to we're going to try and get back in the playoffs next year. When we get Chet back, we're going to, we're going to try and, um, you know, turn the corner and, and we still have this treasure trove of picks um, that we could actually use to acquire another star for ourselves. So I think that that's the decision that Sam Presti has to make, because let's be real. If let's just say you do tra trade Shea Gilgis Alexander to the Raptors, what are you getting in return? Right. You're not, um, yep. you know, you look at, at, at the ages of, of, of these guys, um, you know, Gary Trent Jr. at 23. Okay, you know, you look at Shea, he's 24. You know what I mean? So you're not getting younger. Um, Scotty Barnes, like you mentioned, I don't think he's going to be involved in any deal. But the Raptors, you make that trade, and what do you get from the Raptors, right? What are you going to get? Likely the, the 23rd, 24th pick? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> does that really move the needle? So I think that's something to keep an eye on with Shea is, is and, and the, the Thunder as a whole, is what's the timeline? And if so are you getting enough in return for a 24 year old guy who looks like he's destined for super duper stardom? That's exactly the point. You brought up the position of thunder. It that's, that's where it comes about because they're such a unique team because they have the young core. Obviously Shea's been one of those guys that, you know, just absolutely has just been exploding this year, you know? So like he obviously 
when you look at the Thunder's timeline, other teams around the league, of course, there's going to be guys that uh, teams that inquire on Shea and see what this, the Thunder's vision are, right? Yeah. But when you do look at Shea, he's also 24 years old. You look at the Thunder's standing. Obviously, he, should, he could be your cornerstone guard going forward. You look at Chet, for example, someone that hasn't been able to prove what he could do on an NBA court yet, aside from summer league play. Then you look at other guys down the league, like Josh Giddy, for example, someone that's really good at finding guys their shots. You know, great facilitator. Obviously, he's working his way up on the defensive end of the ball. But at the same time, it's been a quiet year, right? You don't, you haven't really heard too much from Josh, right? So, And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you got to look at, the like you said, the treasure chest of draft picks they have for the next five, ten years, right? So they're in a very – they're in a good spot because what the Thunder 2, what I, what I do really like about the Thunder 2 is that their fan base is appreciative of this type of building plan and their vision, right? They're, the yeah. fan base isn't getting – at least from afar, obviously, you don't hear too much about Oklahoma City unless you look into their organization and the news coverage out there. Or if, I guess you, can, you don't hear much of them on the national standpoints. But you could realize that their fan base hasn't really, at least I could be completely wrong here, but their fan base isn't totally against, hey, you know, why, we under we got a bunch of young players. It's a fun, they're a fun team to watch. You know, obviously, if Chet was out there, they would be, they'd be a lot more fun. But it's not like their fan base is like, okay, what are you doing here? You have all these draft picks. We're trying to win here. We haven't really won anything since, obviously, Kevin left. And Russ, obviously, in those tail end years of Russell Westbrook, like, what's the vision here? What's going on? So, you know, they're they're in a perfect spot, obviously, um, you know, but, yeah, it's it's – Especially in the Raptors standpoint, you know, it's I'd like them to see get a star because there's nothing better than when Toronto's doing well, you know, especially in the NBA landscape. You see how and don't get me. I think you mean you both can agree, obviously, from you being some guy from Canada, too. I think I don't know how much of a fact it is that they're in Toronto plays with getting free agents. I don't think it's that much of a factor nowadays than it was when they first relocated out there. Yeah, but. You know, I think like you, like I mentioned before, and like you, like you even uh, touched up on it perfectly, was just not the look at the field of stars. That's Shea's really the top name. Outside of that, it's really supporting gas guys. Unless you know, we you hit that February trade deadline, and you see teams like okay, you know, let's get in on Victor here. You know, even though we have a third fourteen point five, thirteen point five percent chance of getting the first pick of your top four bottom team, um, what's going to happen? You know, so. It's going to be interesting. That's what makes the NBA great, and I think Toronto they they got the good parts. But if you want to know a team that has goodish parts, but not really, you know, making that much uh, noise, I guess it's the New York Knicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, and and this has been, um, like I mentioned, you're a New York guy. You you know what's going on with that team. It's yep. it's it's interesting, and and I think a lot of people. Um, still a little bit bitter. Let's be honest that they missed out on Donovan Mitchell. They didn't get that deal done yeah. by all accounts. He wanted to be there. Um, the the Knicks have a ton of first round picks. They got they got four picks uh, this year, depending on what happens uh, again with the protections because um, yeah, top ten protected, protected top eighteen, yeah, top top fourteen protected. So um, they do have um, some assets available. And and looking at at even next year too, they got their own first round pick. But this team is stuck in that in that area where. You're not good enough to contend. You're not good enough to guarantee yourself a playoff spot, maybe a play-in position. And again, then you have some work to do there at that point. Um, but then you're not bad enough to tank, right? You got the the mm-hmm. Webinyama Steve Six. You got Scoot Henderson up there, obviously, um, looking at the fact that the Knicks aren't good enough to be there. And, you know, at the time of recording this, they're sitting at 10 and 12, came up short against Milwaukee. 
uh, in a pretty close game a few nights ago. But looking at, at, at this squad, Jalen Brunson, yeah, he's been a nice addition. You know, he's putting up 21 points uh, per game, still still a, a, a decent facilitator leading the team with six and a half assists. But then you got Julius Randle right there. You got R.J. Barrett. Again, don't have that high-end superstar talent. Got a decent mix of people. But where is this going to get you in the standing? So looking at this from your perspective, Chris, what is the move for the Knicks at this point? We saw Leon Rose not pull the trigger, like I mentioned, on that spider trade. But now you're sitting there like, okay, where does this team go? Not bad enough to be down with the Charlottes, Detroits, and Orlandos. Also not good enough to be with the Phillies, Clevelands, and Milwaukee. So what do you what do you do with this squad? You got to look. First, I don't know what they're doing with Evan Fournier. That's that's yeah. something that it, it's, it's kind of their biggest um, bright spot on this team. Obviously, don't get me wrong. They got they got. A little bit of a worrisome on the defensive end. They, I think they topped out in the league's 11th best defense earlier in the year or last season. And then this season, I think they're in the bottom percentile. I think they're in the bottom uh, 5%. I think they're 24th or 25th or whatever the case is. So you got to look at there. It's like, okay, obviously, you know, Jalen Brunson's putting his, his guard, his, uh, he's taking a lot of charges. You have, bright, you have highs and lows on the defensive end, but they need guys, I think, that are like more three and guys and you know they need some pure body defenders here like you know the numbers mm -hmm. aren't great there and on the defensive end so I think that's where you start and then you kind of correlate that in with Evan Fournier right like you got a question obviously I was a big I, I liked Fournier when he came over from the Celtics and I liked that move at the time but you look at obviously what they have with OB Tope and it looks like they're starting to invest more with him then you look at guys like Evan Fournier who's getting paid that you see the dollar sign next to his name it's the third I think he's the third highest cap hit on the Knicks right now and I think in uh, across the seven starts and being kind of a uh, little yanked out of his the, the game plan a little bit when he took that bench roll he hasn't been able to find a shooting touch so obviously that means the value is not that great for him yeah and considering his contract as well so you know like when you look at obviously he's not doing that much offensively in that current certain role you have the defensive limitations that the roster has and you look like I said before the dollar sign next to his contract effectively makes him untradeable. You know it's it's yeah. going to be hard to just trade him clean unless you attach another young another guy. And yeah, or one RJ of the first Barrett, round picks. Yeah, right? he's one of yeah exactly he's one of the first round picks. So it's like, and with RJ, you know, I think it's weird, right? Because with RJ, he's taken on a bigger role this year, but I just it's hard to see that his game can support the role and the demands that the Knicks want him to considering the supporting cast around him, right? Because obviously he's he's in a shooting slump, but he's starting to get out of it a little bit. I think in his last five games, he's shooting 10 of 26 from three. Obviously, that's not a lot of attempts for a wing, and, but at the same time, it's 38.4%. So that's a good way of getting out of the shooting slump is, hey, kind of limit your three points instead of just chucking them up, hope it goes in and start getting a flow of things. So you have that in effect. I like how they're starting to use their G League a little more. That's been a big knock on them the past couple of years with young guys. They don't have a developmental system in place. You look at guys like, think about it, the last real homegrown product was Porzingis and what happened there. You know, there hasn't yeah. been a star made in New York, right? You heard rumblings about trade, trade for this guy, trade for Donovan Mitchell, all this. But in today's NBA, you see what happened across the East River in Brooklyn, right? They yeah. developed from the ground up and were able to get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, right? I'm not saying, hey, they they didn't win a championship yet, but they got him at least to that next stage of the tier one category of the NBA when it comes to winning. So it's it's tough. Julius Randle as well. Obviously, he's been he's been uh, pretty solid over the late stretches things too. I think he had 36 against the Pistons and 
RJ did have 26 against the Milwaukee in that really tough game. I like how they competed there. I was watching a little bit of it at the net went on uh, Wednesday as well in Brooklyn. But I don't know. It's it's like I said before, it's one of those teams that I guess you go with the moving parts. I know a lot. Of, I know. I think you I think you were one of the guys, too, that said, hey, just blow it up. Um, but, you know, it's there. It's a weird, weird spot. They got they got they got Jalen Brunson inked for a couple more years, obviously, in the contract that they signed him in the offseason. Missing out Donovan Mitchell. I was one of those guys that said, you know, even though a lot of people were saying, you know, Donovan Mitchell, I don't know what else what he could really bring here to get the Knicks over the top. What he could have brought is a star to New York and make it more of an attractable place for free agents to come. That was the biggest thing with with uh, if, uh, if uh, Donovan Mitchell came to New York. And obviously they missed out on that. Don't get me wrong; they have a good guard in Jalen Brunson, but I don't think he's your cornerstone guy. You need a star in New York in order to get some transparency and get some stars coming to the town. Yeah, and it feels like they've just been stuck in in yeah. that same same level. You know what I mean? It feels like for for a decade at this point. Yeah, they had that one playoff series a couple of years ago. End up losing to Atlanta in the first round. Obviously, Trey Young made his mark on the on the city, and people hate him there now for that. But um, yeah, this team is just stuck, right? You mentioned Evan Fournier making eighteen million dollars a year, uh, third highest cap hit on that team, basically useless at this point. Still has two years left on his deal um, that'll pay him roughly. Well, the club option for twenty four twenty five, but he's he's at eighteen point eight for next season. And again, that's an untradeable contract unless yeah. you're uh, uh, attaching a future asset like a first round pick. And and looking at the Knicks as a whole, they're the worst three point shooting team in the league. And and we've talked about this. That is the most important factor to winning in the NBA in this day and age is you got to be able to shoot the rock from outside. And you look at the bottom 10 teams in the league in terms of three point percentage, only one of them currently uh, two of them currently in a, in a playoff spot. And that's the Raptors and, and the Hawks, right? The rest of those teams are, are yep. struggling and they're, they're not, they're not going to be able to do it. So again, I, I don't know what the Knicks are really thinking at this point. And, and going back to that Donovan Mitchell thing, like you mentioned, you get him there Um you have Jalen Brunson, you, you you get Spider Mitchell, you are a more attractive destination, right? And we've seen that, like the the LAs, the Brooklyns, the um, Golden State. I mean, obviously hasn't had, had the cap space, the Warriors haven't, but those are the teams that these big name free agents want to go to. And, and it's a shame that people haven't wanted to play for the Knicks. I think Jimmy Dolan has something to do with that as well for the fact that he's a jackass of an owner and, and doesn't know what he's doing. And um, you look at, at the Knicks as a, as a whole, the NBA is just better when they're good, right? They're, it's it's more entertaining. And I grew up in the in the 90s when you had Patrick Ewing, John Starks, you know, and then you had the Allen Houston, Latrell Sprewell teams where uh, people wanted to pay attention to the Knicks. And obviously, uh, Melo had that, that, you know, one little great run where where the team made the playoffs and ultimately ended up, ended up coming up short and they had Amari Stoudemire. But um, yeah, the Knicks are just kind of stuck in this purgatory where, again, you're not Charlotte, Detroit, or Orlando that you're going to bottom out and hopefully get one of those top two picks that, that are going to change the course for, for any franchise that's able to, to land those guys. You got Houston and, and San Antonio out West, but again, yeah, the Knicks to me, uh, Chris, just a, a team that's stuck in, in the middle of no man's land. And again, you have the assets who's available. And we talked about Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, as a potential target for the Raptors. What about the Knicks? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is another, this is another, factor too i want to get your opinion on this i know a lot of people in new york kind of dumped down on this factor a little bit there's two things here i forgot who said it the other day um it could have been a week ago if not two weeks ago that you know new york is one of the, it's and i could you can make the argument for brooklyn too obviously uh considering I'm, I'm always in the building watching those games but new york is also one of those big market teams 
that when a star, an opposing star does come to the town, that they do root for him, right? Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. do Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Well, not necessarily Kevin, but the eyes are on Kevin. The chance, you know, there are oohs and ahs, you know. But another factor I want to get your opinion on, like I mentioned before, I think a lot of New York guys dove down on this idea a little bit and don't call it a factor. You got to look at, too, the Knicks have not really been relevant, like you mentioned, since the Carmelo Amari Stoudemire days, right? And that was when they were a fun team to watch. You saw Chris Day against the Bulls. You have the highlights. You have the milestones there, sure. But for these young players, aside from that, because they didn't get they didn't get over the top, nor did they get near the top, right, in those years. But considering all the young guys coming into this league that are born after 2000 nowadays, they haven't seen New York be a winning team. And I know you could look against the grain and go, okay, look at Golden State. Look at, obviously, Brooklyn, for example. Look at look at the Suns in those areas. You could look at Denver, too. You know, a lot of those teams weren't necessarily great, you know, because back then, in the early 2000 years, you had the Spurs dynasty, you had the Heat dynasty. You know, you had, obviously, the, 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 Mir- the Cinderella story, Pistons as well. But you know, you got to look at that factor too. That do do players really want to come here and play consistently? You know, I think that's yeah. a, that's another little underlying factor. A lot of people don't really look at that much. And I th- I agree with you, right? Because you you look at it and and the teams that were you know these like even Chicago, right? Yeah, they were able to get Demar Derozan. Um, those were like the, the, the big name, big city teams that people wanted to go to, and and that's just not the case anymore, right? And and, and I'm yeah. with you, and it's like. You know, you got to look at it from from what these young cats are, their perspective is, right? And again, I think that's where the Lakers have always defined themselves, right? Like, um, yeah. they're, they're who's the last guy? I mean, other than Kobe Bryant, who they didn't even draft. Um, you know what I mean? Looking back at it, they made that deal for him. But who, who was the last player like a homegrown star? The Lakers have never really had one, right? They, they got AD. No, it could have been Brandon. It could have been Brandon Ingram. But they should could have been Ingram. Could have been Ingram. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, they they missed out on on Lonzo Ball. They they you know yep. Julius Randle, another guy they ended up trading away. So they don't really um, build through the draft. And obviously, the Knicks, uh, RJ Barrett, the first what you know pick since Charlie Ward. Um, to sign a, a second extension as a first rounder. So you're looking at that team and, and I'm with you. It's like the Knicks have been a laughing stock, right? For the better part of a decade. And and um, like I mentioned, that that fan base, that city itself is is phenomenal. Um, you want the Knicks to be good. Um, and I'm not saying I'm this from a Sixers perspective. Knicks. Yeah, you know, and it, it just makes everything better. So I, I'm with you. I don't really know what the current regime is doing, what the plan is. Sure, you got Jalen Brunson, the $100 million player, but not going to move the needle for you unless RJ Barrett takes a huge step in his development, which I don't foresee. I, I think that he is what he is at this point. Maybe we'll improve a little bit in terms of being a more consistent shooter, uh, bringing more um, scoring punch, maybe a little bit to, to what he's already doing. Uh, but again, I, I don't really know what the path forward is for the Knicks. So that that's something to keep an eye on here where, again, you're, you're looking at the Eastern Conference standings. I think Miami will start to figure it out at some point. I think yep. Spo is too good. I think they have too much talent. Uh, the Heat do in order for them not to move up. And then once you basically put Miami, perhaps Chicago turns things around once it gets a little bit healthier. And maybe you drop Washington and the Knicks out of that that play-in picture. Where do the Knicks go, right? Like you're, you're, you're sitting at the 11-12 spot. Um, again, maybe going to land the, the ninth or 10th pick in the draft, uh, not enough to move the needle for that team going forward. So I, I think that's a storyline to look at, but again, they have the assets. Um, we do know that throughout the course of an NBA season, some stars are, are going to become available, uh, depending yep. on which teams are struggling and which ones aren't. And so I think that that's going to be a variable, uh, to keep an eye on Chris. Let's, uh, let's wrap things up here. Um, yes, sir. we've had a, we've had a good, uh, we've had a good discussion about the Atlantic division teams, but, uh, you're a world cup guy. I'm a world cup fan. As you mentioned, Ooh. I'm Canadian. Uh, what a shitty, 
Well, it was terrible. fun though for you, probably watching Canada in the World Cup. You it know, was, like I, you know what? It was fun, but I, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. And this is where I come from as a Canadian, which kind of pisses me off, right? And then I'll be real, Ryan. We're all supposed to be these nice guys, and I'll hold the door open for you and say please and thank you. But when it comes to um, our sporting world, and and this is a part okay. that was frustrating for me. Like other than hockey, obviously, it's like if Team Canada doesn't win the gold medal at the uh, Olympics, that's either for men's or women's. Uh, people are pissed and it's like we need to look at this whole thing like i remember back in sochi in in, in i believe it was 2014 um or, or one of the games that the, the team was just uh, terrible right like they, they ended up crashing out uh 2006 i think in turin in italy and so it was like a we have to do a deep dive on hockey canada from the grassroots but when it comes to soccer and like you know uh the canadian national team for basketball is qualified for the world cup of shea gilders alexander a big part of that they're gonna have andrew wiggins they got a good squad uh benedict matherin obviously gonna be a part of that equation now so I, I think the men's team is moving forward but when you look at at the world cup stuff it was too much of a happy to be here vibe for me you know what i'm saying like yeah. they won they won Concacaf. um they beat the u.s in 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 one of the games ended up getting a draw on the other they beat mexico um you know what i mean so they showed that they could play but going back to that, that belgium game really i think just deflated them and and they uh alfonso davies missing the penalty early uh belgium basically got outplayed that first 45 able to get one chance and buried it um, that was the difference between the teams. But to me, too much of a happy to be here vibe for Team Canada. So for for me, that was a bit of a piss off. Uh, I also want to thank my dad because he's a Brazil fan, has been since the time I was a kid. So it gives me a rooting interest. It's the first time I've got to see Canada um, from from you know me as an adult. I was only three when the last time they got in in, in Mexico in '86. But looking at now, uh, I'm I'm cheering for Brazil. Um, that that's going to be my squad the rest of the way. It has been. I, I love that Ronaldo uh, Ronaldinho Rivaldo. Uh, Ronaldo, that's a Brazilian one back in 02. Yep. I love that squad. So that was fun for me to see. Uh, but what about you? You're, you're looking at this, the U S taking on Netherlands on Saturday morning. I know you said you, you, you got a, you know, the Spain, um, angle to you. So what, how, how are things going for you so far in this world cup? Oh, I was stressing yesterday, man, with Spain. That, oh, that yeah. one was tough, yeah, because I went, I went to club de España in Spain to watch this, watch the game with obviously with a bunch of Spain guys and fans. And that was stressful because, number one, you had Japan. Okay, you go into the game. All you need to do is win or tie the game. And then they score the goal. Murata gets the header. Great. And then you go down the line, second half, Japan. Boom, two right in that right off the bat. And you're, now, you're, now you're playing the numbers game, right? Now you're playing yeah. the goal differential. You're playing the point game. Then you see what Germany and Costa Rica's got going on. Thank God Costa Rica, they came up big. You know, they helped us out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it stinks for Germany fans. Obviously, back to back years of not getting to the round of back to back World Cups, not getting to that round of 16s now. But you know, now you look at Spain. They got Morocco, which obviously they can't underestimate them. You know, obviously a lot of soccer fans are like Morocco or they're, they're, they're that good. It's like no, like they they proved their worth in this World Cup. You know, they're not one of those teams to joke with. I do have them getting past Morocco, but like I said, we got your we got you got your dad's Brazil right on deck if they get past Morocco at that point, considering Brazil uh, advances in that first round of sixteen. Then you look at United States Netherlands. As much as listen, I would love the USA to win, but you got to look at the status of Pulisic. Is he going to be fully healthy? Is he going to just kind of power through the injury, which I had imagined he does regardless. Yeah, but Netherlands is no joke. You know, you could look at okay, their their golden years of Snyder, Robin, Van Persie, they're all done. They're younger now. They don't have a Dijon. They don't have like you know, they're yeah. they're a younger team. Yeah. But you know, like I I if I had to put money, I would go with the Netherlands. I there as much as I want the United States to win. Netherlands. All in all, who do I think is going to win? Obviously, I want Spain to win. I just think it the group stage showed a lot. 
you can't underestimate Brazil. They have so much firepower. Uh, I would have to go with Brazil here, but I do hope Spain pulls it out. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be fun. And I think you're looking at, at some of those quarterfinals matchups and, and looking at, um, at, at at the fact that you're going to have these eight big name teams there. Um, I do think it'll be it'll be a lot of fun to see what happens here. But because uh, for me, it's like once you get to a certain point, you want to see like an Argentina Brazil semifinal. You want to see like a, oh, a yeah. France and, you know, you want to see Argentina Portugal. I know a lot of fans are rooting for that one because they get the Ronaldo. Messy, messy thing, yeah, yeah. And that, that, well, that that wouldn't happen so till the that wouldn't happen till the final now, right? Because Spain yeah, finishes the two, the and the two, so it'll be if Spain wins against Morocco and Portugal presumably beats whoever finishes second in Group G, you're going to have Spain and, and Portugal in the quarters, and then you have England, France. So that there those teams are all on the same side of the bracket, and then you got uh, Netherlands. I I you know as much as the Netherlands have been this powerful team, like you mentioned, they're not, and I've watched them play literally every single game. My girlfriend's from there, um, but. Looking at that team, I think the U.S. could pull this off. So I, I'm looking at yeah. the odds on it. And I'm like, maybe, just maybe, I should put a little bit of money on it. So I'm gonna, I might, I might put, put okay. the, a small little wager on on. on if the you're US gonna to sprinkle, if you're gonna sprinkle a little bit, let me throw out this suggestion: Senegal over England. I'm, I'm feeling that up. Really, I'm 100, I'm 100 in on that. I know the midfielder, uh, from Everton suspended. I get that. I just feel I, you know, they don't have money the whole World Cup. I understand that. I just. Mm-hmm. You know, I just sense the upset coming. I, I really do sense it. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that. And I might I might put a little bit. I mean, I'm not a huge gambler when it comes to. It. I don't put like an obscene amount of money on it, but I might touch up on that, Chris, and and, uh, and we'll see what happens. But it's gonna be fun. Next time we talk, uh, we're basically gonna know what's gonna be happening in the uh, in the semifinals. So it'll be it'll be fun to discuss that. Um, like I said, yes, let's sir. wrap let's wrap things up here. I know you got to get going. You got to head to the arena for for uh, for the game. So uh, enjoy yep. that, Chris. It's it's fun Thank doing you, this. Brother. And uh, we're looking at trying to, uh, like I said, maybe next week we'll 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 do a streamyard thing, and we'll try and get people uh, interactive going, getting with us on YouTube. If you have, yeah, any we'll have a guest. Well. we'll have a guest certainly next week, but we'll yeah. definitely have a guest next. Yeah, week. we'll we'll line some stuff up, and and we'll keep going from there. But uh, like I mentioned, don't forget subscribe to our Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We have you covered there. Um, Chris obviously is a part of the of Nets Daily, our SB Nation sister site. Also does work um, for SI as well. So I uh, appreciate your time, Chris, and uh, we'll catch up again. And do this next week. 100% brother. Well, 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 we got a lot of things to talk about by next week, you know, in the NBA and obviously World Cup. That should be fun as well. Of course. All right. And we'll, we'll look forward to having a guest on. So hopefully we have somebody uh, on with us. We'll kind of let you know uh, what happens with that during the week. As I mentioned, thanks for tuning into this episode. I'll be back actually on Liberty Ballers uh, doing the post game. I'll be flying solo tonight after the Sixers take on the Grizzlies. So don't forget to check that out as well. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.